Well, while you're sitting down, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We'll be spending a little time here and then a lot of time focusing on Palm Sunday and how it pertains to our 40 days of love and different things like that. Welcome back to 40 days of love. This is week six. This is the last week that we'll be addressing uh, this subject from the pulpit. Once again, we're in first Corinthians, verse five of first Corinthians 13, which says that love is not easily angered. Love is not easily angered. Did you know that the most important pairing, uh, P-A-I-R-I-N-G, to have in your heart, the most powerful pairing that can be there is love and anger? And we see that on Palm Sunday. Love is not easily angered. It's talking there about a fleshly kind of anger. But the idea is, if we manage that, we can channel anger for a powerful good, just like Christ did. In a whole lot of ways, we're going to see today that the bottom line of loving has to do with anger, with not getting angry in the wrong way, on one hand, but on the other hand, with getting angry in the right way. You see this in a lot of places in Scripture. When the Bible says, for instance, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, there's a context there, uh, if you look into the passage, that talks about a man's anger and how it can be used in a very fleshly and destructive way against his wife. He is talking about how, while in a lot of ways women are a whole lot stronger than men, especially as men grow older, right? A woman's constitution physically is stronger. It lives stronger for longer. So that's true. But in other ways, uh, they're the weaker vessel, it says here. Physically, sometimes emotionally, during that time of the month, or whatever. And more often than not, the bottom line of loving our wives as we ought to love them has to do with anger management on our part. So much so that Peter says, Husbands, do not become embittered against your wives. There will be a tendency, the teaching there is, says, that there will be a tendency, given what comes up sometimes from your wife, to get angry to the point of being embittered, lest your prayers be hindered. Anger management is very important in the marriage relationship. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Ephesians 6.4 Bottom line of loving our children as we ought, as men, has to do with anger management on our part. And for women, too, anger management is in many ways the bottom line of being a good mother, a good wife, a a good friend. It says in Proverbs, the wise woman builds her house. And um, if you look in Proverbs 31, there's a channeling of an intense energy, the kind of energy that's driven by anger in a good sense there. But it also can tear down the house. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. He's talking about anger there, angry words, uh, doing the opposite of love. There are five verses in Proverbs about, as many of you know, the contentious woman. It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. There's a whole fleshly side of anger that we've got to watch out for. But when we manage our anger, we're going to see today, it turns from, you know, kind of a nuclear bomb into a nuclear reactor. An incredible power for good. It becomes a powerful force to further the kingdom. Like we saw last Sunday, when you get this, when you get this tiger by the tail, you know, it puts a tiger in your tank. 
managed anger produces great friendships, great marriages, great leadership. It takes you from good to great in your business. Great athletes, all these different things. In fact, I have found that when I deal with my anger uh, in a healthy way, it does put a tiger in my tank. Some of you have experienced this too. When you get that tiger by the tail, it puts one in your tank in a powerful way. And if you don't, it can be a tiger that ends up consuming your life and the lives of your loved ones. So for the second time this week, uh, we want to look at what God has to say about how to tame the tiger so that it can be put to a productive use in the service of love. The most powerful force behind our love. How to tame your temper. No discussion of love would be complete without a discussion of anger, as we've been seeing in 1 Corinthians 15.5, again, about love. Now, maybe it's not coincidental that this is uh, Palm Sunday. We know Christ went to the cross in love, right? That was the greatest expression of all love. And you wonder, where did he find the strength to do that? Well, it says in Scripture that he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. He set his face like flint. This is righteous anger in action. It was his hardened resolve to go. He was hardened against the disciples who told him not to go. He said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You do not put your interests in the things of God. He was hardened against his own fears, right? That came out at Gethsemane. He was hardened in his love for mankind. He was hardened in his resolve to uh, love his enemies. He was hardened in his resolve to surrender to his greatest enemies, the Pharisees. Hardened in the face of the crowds who were praising him, waving their palms like uh, Eric said, you know, when he knew that it, they'd turn on a dime and crucify him by the same fists that held up the palms. Against all that, he set his face like flint. That's anger and love working hand in hand. Anger, uh, the, the, the anger that drove the greatest of all loves. Anger has a tremendous power for good. We often think of love as being, you know, all mushy and gushy and weak in the knees and it's a, a shiver in your liver, you know, then if you feel that, you know you've really got the real thing. When in fact, true love is the most manly thing you can do, especially in this world. Real love is a very manly thing. The strongest love is an angry love when you set your face like flint to do the loving thing because it's the right thing, even though it may be the hardest of all things, even though it means going to the cross. And I would submit to you that Christ was able to do this because He managed His anger until it became a nuclear reactor for good. You see this in how He cleansed the temple on Palm Sunday. The Scripture says that the day before he went and it says he looked all around the city, he looked all around the temple, and then he left. Interesting. He saw the money changers the day before. He saw all that was being done in the temple in the face of uh, the, the holy God. It made him angry, but he didn't just explode with it, though he had the right to, because he had his anger under control. No, he left to think about it. He slept on it overnight because it wasn't the right time. And then he came back, and it says that he took the time to make a whip out of cords. 
Somehow he knew that was the best way to do it. He was very deliberate. He got angry in the right way, at the right time, at the right place. And like it says in the verses we read at the beginning of the service, in the temple area he saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. And he saw the money changers behind their counters. And he made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and oxen, scattered the money changers' coins on the floor, and turned over the tables. Then going uh, over to the people who saw Old doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Don't turn my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the Scriptures, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal, that's zealous anger. Kind of reminds me of the little boy. You know, in New Zealand churches, they, they have the habit, and some of them, of having Scripture verses painted or written on the walls. And there's this little boy who came into the church, and he was looking at the place where it said, zeal for thy house will consume me. That's from, the, from what Christ did in the temple. Zeal for thy house will consume me. And he was crying. And so a little, an elder came up to him and said, what's wrong, little boy? And he looked up there and said, I'm afraid the zeal will eat me. To which the elder said, oh, you don't need to worry about that. There's no zeal in this place. <laughs> is there zeal in this place? I hope there is. We need more of that kind of zeal in our families, in our churches, the kind of love that sets its face like flint, a crucified kind of love, if need be. And that kind of love will come the more you manage your anger for good. And so I think it's fitting that we end the six weeks of 40 Days of Love by a focus on that. It turns a nuclear bomb into a nuclear reactor of zealous love. So how do you put a tiger in your tank? Well, you got, how do you get the tiger by the tail? How do you do that? Well, we saw last week, and let me review just a bit, that the first thing is to just resolve to manage it. Resolve to management. And this resolution is a, based on a reckoning that you can do it. It's not out of your control. It's not just the way you're wired. You can resolve to manage it. Proverbs 29.11, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. He can manage it. To keep ourselves under control. And what I mean by that is that you quit saying, I can't control it, and start reckoning resolving that you can. No one ever made you mad. We talked about that a lot last week. No, uh, anger is a choice. Second, we saw that you must remember the cost. Remember the cost. Proverbs 29.22, a hot-tempered man gets into all kinds of trouble. It's incredibly costly. And you could go on and on about the all kinds of uh, of trouble in that part of the verse. Proverbs 15:18. Hot tempers cause arguments. Proverbs 14:29. Anger causes mistakes. Proverbs 14:17. People with hot tempers do foolish things. Proverbs 11:29. The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. It'll destroy your marriage, destroy your family. 
What do you lose? You can lose your reputation. You can lose uh, the respect of others. You can lose your job. You can lose uh, a sale. You can lose the love of your family. You can lose your health. Swallow your anger, and your stomach will keep score. Right? We talked a bit about that last time. So we need to remember, not only resolve to manage it, but to remember the cost when we're tempted to lose it. But then third, we saw the Scripture teaches that we should reflect before reacting. Reflect before reacting, which is just what Christ did, didn't He? He went in the temple, looked around, and then left for a day. And then He took the time to make the whips. And he was thinking during that time, where am I going to do this? Where am I going to start? And all the rest. Reflect before reacting. In other words, oftentimes this means think before you speak. Put your mind in gear uh, before you put your mouth in gear. Right? Anger control is largely a matter of mouth control. If you're, if you're, gonna, if you're going to watch your words, then you're going to watch your anger. The Bible tells us that the foolish, it's foolish to respond impulsively to anything. Proverbs 29.11 says, The stupid man gives free reign to his anger. A wise man waits and lets it grow cool. That's where the, the term cool it comes from, right? Chill out. Wait until it grows cool. So reflect before reacting. And what do you reflect on? Well, on what's going on inside. What's going on on the inside? Figure out which of the three root causes is behind your anger at that time. Remember we talked about that? We saw that every time we get angry, there's almost always one of three things behind it. The first thing that causes us to get angry is hurt. The second thing is frustration. And then the third is fear. Hurt, frustration, fear. Think about which it is. And then four, I need to release my anger appropriately. After I reflect before reacting, I need to release it appropriately. There's a right way and a wrong way to express it. There's a helpful way and there's a very uh, harmful way to express it. There's a sinful way and a totally sinless way to express it. At least Christ could do that. If anger was a sin, then God's a sinner because God gets angry, and He really does, but it's a powerful thing, right? So let's do it in the right way. I must release my anger appropriately. Ephesians 4.27, if you become angry, don't let your anger lead you into sin. Difference between anger and sin, right? Pretty clear. And how do I release my anger appropriately? What does it mean to sin in my anger? Well, first, make sure you don't suppress it. Make sure you don't suppress it. That is, you don't just stuff it. Because you want to be a good girl, Right? Or whatever. Don't stuff it. It'll turn into a volcano. Second, you don't repress it. And what does repress mean? Repressing means denying. It means you're saying, I'm not angry. Your wife looks you in the eyes and you've got daggers that could kill, right? Say, I'm not angry. Don't do that. Don't repress it. That's lying. There's a lot in Scripture about that. There's a word for repressed anger, and that is depression. Depression. Depression is often frozen rage. Third thing you don't do is that you don't express it in the wrong way. When you're here, you're just going to create more. 
this whole primal therapy thing, you know, where you just get it all off your chest, your chest and you practice getting all the anger out, well, that does not work. It just makes it worse. The more you practice it, the more it's going to happen. So don't express it in that way, whether sarcasm or slamming the door and you're out of there and you're going to talk to him for three days, three days, you know, or pouting or just crazy behavior or whatever. That just makes it worse. So you don't suppress it, you don't repress it, you don't express it in the wrong way. What do you do? Well, God says the way we deal with our anger, and this is where this week we bring God into the equation, is that we need to confess it. Right? Your kids can't handle your anger. Your wife has a hard time handling your anger. There are wounds in her maybe because of that. But God can handle your anger. Confess it. Make live contact with Him. Be in the habit of doing that with a real relationship with Him. So it makes a difference when you talk to Him and you lift your fist against Him and say, God, why'd you allow that to happen? I've been working on my anger for so long, nothing's happening. Why'd you allow them to crucify me? Get it off your chest with Him. Confess it. That's what you see all the way through the Psalms. He addressed God in no uncertain terms. That's what Job did. Confess it. We need to bring God into the equation. If you, if you uh, let it out to God, you, 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 know, you, you admit it first to yourself and you admit to God, God, I'm mad. And here's why. And you talk it out. You unload on Him. You confess not the anger, but the cause. Lord, I think I'm hurt here. Or Lord, I am so insecure that whenever my husband just looks at me in the wrong way, I feel like he's rejected me because of my earthly father or whatever. And then I just lash out and get angry. Lord, heal me here. I'm too sensitive. I, I'm frustrated. I'm angry because, angry because I'm frustrated. I'm scared. I'm insecure. Meet me there. Be my strength. My husband can't be God. Forgive me for expecting him to be that way. Or my wife, whatever. That's all negative. What do you do positively? Well, according to Scripture, after you do this whole thing of confessing and let the Holy Spirit lead you, you, um, you re-pattern your mind these are the last two. Repattern your mind. And then third, rely on your God. Repattern your mind and rely on your God. The Bible says in Romans 12, too, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world. What's the behavior of this world? Well, the behavior of the world is to repress, to express in primal therapy or whatever, to suppress one of those three. It says here, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But here it is. Let God transform you into a new person by what? By changing the way you think. Be transformed, another translation says, by the renewing of your mind. This is the verse in Scripture on how to change for the good. Whether that's lust or greed or anger or whatever. This is the key uh, to learning a new way to handle anger, and that is you change the way you think. When you act in angry ways, it's because you're feeling angry. When you feel anger, it's because you're choosing to think angry thoughts. 
It's monkey think, monkey feel, monkey do. So you pull it way back to the source of the problem. Repattern your mind. The way I think affects the way I feel. Every time I feel something, it's because I'm thinking something. Every emotion you feel has a thought behind it. When you think this, you're going to feel it. I feel depressed because I'm thinking depressing thoughts. Duh. And it's such a pattern that we're no longer aware of the thoughts that are fueling the feeling. The way I think determines the way I feel, and the way I feel determines the way I act. That is the scriptural pattern for change. So if I want to change the way I act, let's say I have a tendency to be abusive, to fly off the handle with my wife, to even to show physical violence. You, you don't focus on the behavior. That's not going to make it better. That's the symptom, not the cause. You start by going back, not even to the way you feel. You start by changing what you think. And you may need a good Christian counselor or a friend to help you talk through this so you begin to understand it. You, you change that thought, the mental process, and it's going to eventually change the feeling, and that's going to change the behavior. If you've been thinking and feeling and acting that way a long time, you've got a pattern that's a problem. And it's not going to change overnight, right? But the more you change your thinking, the more, maybe a month, maybe a year, it'll take years for the feelings to go down, and then the actions will follow. Be changed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what God does. He's the one that can change those thought patterns in our minds. He can break the hang... uh, To break the habit of anger, you've got to get some mental um, reconditioning. A while back, I told the story, remember the one about the salesman who gets this flat tire in the dark and he sees a farm and there's a light and he starts walking there and his mind starts to think and sees uh, and sees and he says, suppose no one comes to the door, suppose they don't have a jack, suppose they won't even give me one if they have one, and by the time the door opens, he nails the guy and says, you can keep your lousy jack. That's, that's it. That's exactly what we're talking about. The, the harder his mind works, the more agitated he becomes, the, the more angry he feels as he thinks these, these ruinous thoughts. And so Philippians 4.8 is fundamental to all this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, and there always will be no matter how bad the situation, let your mind dwell on these things. That's how we change. You identify and kill the angry thought, you replace it with a loving thought. You identify the lie, and you replace it with the truth. And it's ultimately God's truth that sets us free. That's it. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The context of that is the struggle with sin. Which is why it's so critical that we immerse ourselves in God's Word and be in a church that's suffused with the Word of God, all the way from the pulpit to Sunday school classes to Iron Hour to the women's um, um, Bible study on on Thursday mornings to small groups. It, It changes us slowly but surely on the level where change has got to begin. So repattern your mind, and then finally, under it all, rely on God's help. This isn't going to be solved, you know, by a quick visit to Oprah. Right? 
or reading a self-help book or a magazine or taking a seminar. The, the real secret is God's power to change you from the inside out as you rely on Him. Romans 15.5, patience and encouragement come from God. Not from a pill, not from a seminar, ultimately not from a conference. These can all be helpful, but patience and encouragement ultimately come from God. Those are parts of love. Philippians 3.4, I pray God will help you agree with each other. In other words, they were angry. They weren't loving each other. He said, God has got to do something here. And I pray that He would. Your relationship and your closeness to Jesus Christ on a daily basis, achieving live contact with Him, that is what determines the amount of patience ultimately that you have in your life. If you're close to Jesus Christ, you're going to have a lot more patience in your life than you would have had if you weren't close to Jesus Christ. You think it's not doing any good. I don't have as much as I think I should. But if you only knew what you'd be like without that, you'd keep up your devotions, right? I know that's true of me. If we're kind of wishy-washy in our relationship with Christ, we're, we're not going to be as patient or kind or loving because it comes from God. If you're kind of on the fringe in your relationship with Christ, you're going to have problems maybe with anger all your life. You're going to have problems with being patient because you don't have love. We're talking about supernatural love. That we all need Christ's love. A manly love. A love that has some zeal in it, right? The kind of love that sets its face like flint against the world and the flesh and the devil. That's love. That is angry love. True love is a manly love that has more and more anger managed and under control that does that. It's the kind of love that actually as we close off this six weeks I'd like you to listen to right now. What you're about to hear is from 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter of the Bible, which of course we've been going through from the pulpit as well as in small groups. And as we wrap it up, Listen to the love chapter from the Bible set to a very manly kind of rhythm and rhyme. You'll need to listen carefully, but you'll hear more as, as it goes on. It's a video, uh, a video called Love. Love is kind. It does not 
question why do you have love? coincidental that this is Benevolent Sunday when in true love we sacrifice something. So if the ushers would come forward, the benevolence offering is for the needy both in our church and our community. Please give generously. Give like a man. Heavenly Father, you always amaze me. Let your kingdom come in my world and in my life. Give me the food I need to live through today. And forgive me as I forgive the people that wrong me. Leave me far from temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. I look out the window, the birds are composing. Not a note is out of tune or out of place. Walk to the meadow, 
stare at the flowers They're just than any girl on a wedding day So why should I worry? Why do I freak out? God knows what I need You know what I need Your love is, your love is, your love is So your love is, your love is So ends our 40 Days of Love from the Pulpit. This coming week will be most of your last time, uh, the sixth time, in small groups. But this will not end the year of the caring community. We've got a couple things yet coming. What's up next is a powerful seminar, uh, as I've mentioned before, on marriage, one of the best that's out there. It's called Love and Respect. If you're single, this will be a great way to prepare for marriage, if that's what God has for you. Being a caring community, of course, has got to start at home. And whether your marriage just needs a tune-up or a major overhaul, this seminar uh, is for you. It's two weeks after Easter, right here. It's a video seminar, a video conference, May 6th and 7th, Friday night, and then Saturday until 1.45 or so. If you'd like to find out more, uh, my wife Julie will be at the welcome table and uh, really encourage you, uh, especially as men, to take the lead and make this happen. Well, why don't we all stand together? Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming. See you soon.